But I want to share with you a message now that I've titled, Building on the Rock. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, find your way to Luke chapter 6. We'll be starting in verse 46. And most of you know, right, it's hard to live in North Carolina and not know that three weeks ago, our state was in the midst of a mighty storm. I, I mean, there was a tremendous storm. Hurricane Florence showed no mercy as it battered the coast of our state and our, our, the state that is our neighbor to the south with these bursting torrents of rain and wind that left mass flooding in its wake. And before it was over, Florence became the wettest tropical cyclone on record for the state of North Carolina. Elizabethtown, North Carolina, got the worst of that. Some of you may have heard this, that this one town received from the result of that storm 36 inches of rain. We're talking about three feet of rain coming from one storm. And just to think through that, I want to ask for your prayers for those from our body who are actually now down serving, helping with the recovery efforts. So Greg Gentry is there. Carol Dobesey has made the trip down. Uh, Randy Evans is there as well. And Karen Atkins, all of them have gone to help feed individuals who are uh, in the midst of recovering from this great tragedy. And of course, I see Haiti here now and Paul, her husband, who is the former pastor here, has done such wonderful work in this area. He's an area coordinator, uh, coordinating those trips that go down to feed individuals. So if you'd like to get plugged into that sort of effort, I'm sure Haiti would be happy to direct you in the right direction. I can do the same, but Paul does a great work, and we're thankful for him. But please pray for these folks as they continue through this effort, that this would be a fruitful effort to provide real relief to a real crashing sort of storm. But in the wake of this tremendous storm, Many individuals have expressed this common lament. Those individuals who were lined up on the coast, who had built their homes down along those sea-bound towns, they've given this common lament that they wish they had built their houses differently. That is, for some, they wish they had built their homes in some other place. Maybe they wish they'd built those homes up in the mountains where ultimately they'd be established on the rock in the mountains and the storms would not make it there. They would not have experienced the torrential floods. Or perhaps they wish they'd built their homes on another sort of foundation. Some individuals had their homes on stilts. And so when the flooding came, the fact that this foundation was different meant that their homes would survive what became a destruction for many of their neighbors. And so individuals think, maybe if I'd built on a different sort of foundation, the outcome would have been different. And it's true that many of these individuals had heard of the dangers of building a house at the coast. I mean, if you're going to have a home down east, you've got to know that there is a danger that these tropical storms, these hurricanes are going to be coming your way. But, but no one truly knows when those storms are coming, or if those storms will hit the place where you are living. And, and let's be honest, many of us have this shared desire that we would love to live at the coast. I mean, when the weather is nice, it is great to enjoy the fun and the sun of having a home there in that area of the state. But I find some interesting parallels between the aftermath of Hurricane Florence and what Jesus has for us to hear today. 
Because Jesus makes it clear that every one of you who is here today is building a house. Every one of you is building a house. But unlike those who build at the coast, Jesus doesn't leave us uncertain about whether or not a storm will be coming our way. As a matter of fact, he makes it clear that a storm is headed for your life, that you need to be ready for this storm. You need to be ensure that you are built on a solid foundation because ultimately, if you are not, Jesus leaves no question about this, that if your foundation is not secure, then the home which you are building, this, this life that you are building, will ultimately be ripped to shreds. And we're going to read together what is the final bit of a message that Jesus himself preached. The first message that we have recorded in the book of Luke that he preaches directly to his disciples. That's why we've been calling this Discipleship 101. When Jesus calls these 12 men to spend life with him in preparation that they would carry his mission on once he has ascended into heaven, once he calls them, he begins to preach this message. And today we come to the very end of that message. This is if Jesus is extending the invitation for the message that he has preached through the very words that we're going to be reading here in Luke chapter 6 today. And so if you're able, I'd ask that you, you just stand with us as we honor the reading of God's word here in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great you may be seated now jesus makes it clear in this passage that every one of us is building a house and there are two ways that you could be building this house one would be to dig deep and to build on the rock the other would be to build on a ground with no foundation whatsoever. And then Jesus speaks of this storm. And Jesus makes it clear that it's a storm that everyone will face. It's a storm that brings flooding. It's a storm that produces torrents that burst against the house. It's a storm that ultimately for one of these two individuals that he draws our attention to brings catastrophe. It brings catastrophe to that individual and to his house. But the storm doesn't do that for everyone. In fact, we find that one man in this parable was able to build a house that was a storm-proof house, a house that could stand the wind, a house that could stand the, the waves crashing against it, a house that could stand the water levels that were rising. 
And Jesus, through this, shows us that it's possible for us to build a storm-proof life. And that's a question that he ultimately wants us to be asking as we come to this passage here today. How can I build a storm-proof life? How can I build a life that will stand whatever might come against it for all of eternity? And Jesus draws our attention to this story This earthly story that just has a spiritual meaning behind it. Jesus draws us as the great teacher and the Savior to these words so that we would come here today and we would ask these questions. What can storm-proof my life? What is it that will make the difference for me? So let's begin by examining quickly three things that will not storm-proof your life. Three things that will not storm-proof your life. The first is this. Your skill as a builder will not storm-proof your life. Jesus says nothing about the skills of these two builders that he draws out in this story. He doesn't say that one was able to engineer the appropriate joints that would hold together a firm house that would stand any storm. He doesn't say that one of these individuals was an excellent brick mason and because of his Skill. He was able to build a house which would withstand the storm. The other was not. No, Jesus doesn't say that. This is not the story of the three little pigs, okay? There may be some spiritual truth in that, but not a lot, okay? This is something different. These men both seem to have been quite capable of building. At the end of what they've done, they both produce a house. They both got some pretty good skills, But still, one of those houses came crashing down. And likewise, I just want all of you who are gathered here to know that you don't have to be some sort of spiritual hero in order to become right with God. As a matter of fact, the Bible gives ample testimony that it is those who ultimately realize that they are not spiritual heroes. It is those who realize that they do not have it all together who ultimately become the ones who come into this kingdom and find this Savior who can make the eternal difference for them. And, and even what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 gives such, a, such a, a visible reminder of who we are in Christ. It is not because of who we have been in the past and the great spiritual hero status that we had that Christ has reached in and made a difference for us. No, what 1 Corinthians 1 says is this. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despise God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. So maybe you gather here today and you say, well, I'm not really a wise sort of fellow. I'm not really strong. I'm not very mighty. I don't have much of a noble background. I didn't have this great upbringing. Well, congratulations, you are of the sort that Christ can ultimately work in. Because those who think that they are wise, 
Those who think that they are strong, those who think that because of whatever background they've got, that they are set for all of eternity, are ultimately the ones who will come crashing down, is what Jesus is showing us here. Because these individuals are not finding that they have a well-built house because of the things that they are capable of doing on their own. So it's clear here that your skill as a builder will not stormproof your life. But secondly, the quality of what you build will not stormproof your life. There's no mention here that one man built better walls or a better roof or that the product of the hands of one man was better than another. Jesus isn't saying here that if you do enough good things that you'll stormproof your life. Because I think that's the wrong mentality that so many people in our world have. If I can just do enough good things, then I'll make things right with God. But that's not what Jesus is showing us here. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that none of us can do enough good things to be capable of escaping this coming judgment. This storm of judgment that will one day come upon the world. In fact, we read in Titus chapter 3. Verses 4 and 5. When the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. You see, it is the mercy of God our Savior that makes the difference. Likewise, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, we've all violated what God created us to do. All of us have set ourselves as God's enemies by the very deeds which we have done. And then Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8 say this, While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Was it because they had a good ability that, that Christ died for them? No, they were helpless. And then in verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, maybe you've got this sort of mentality, because I lived a lot of my life with this sort of mentality. That like God was going to have this great cosmic scale one day, right? And, and he would be stacking up all the good things that I'd done on one side and all the bad things that I'd done on the other. And that just as long as the good things outweighed the bad... That Jeremy would be good. That God would say, okay, you've done enough good things. You come on into heaven. But, but do you see that the Bible is ultimately telling us that we could never, ever, ever do enough good things to earn his grace. We could never do enough things to be restored to him. We have violated the very created design of a holy God who is infinitely holy, infinitely wise. And our smallest of deeds against him is worthy of such great condemnation and yet God through his grace has stepped out to make the difference and ultimately the only thing that matters on that scale is whether or not Jesus is the one who you are trusting your life in because he is the one who has lived with the sinless purity that God demands of each one of us and when we place our faith in him his righteousness my friends is credited to us God looks at the scale of what he's done to grant to us eternal life. And so the quality of what you build will not storm-proof your life. But thirdly, hoping for storm-free weather will not storm-proof your life. 
I think a lot of people live with this sort of mentality. Like, I just hope that, you know, if I do good enough, that maybe there's going to be something good at the end for me. And it's just as long as I think happy thoughts and don't think about God's coming judgment, that that's going to make all the difference. But the difference that made the difference for the man whose house survived was not that he didn't face any storms. Everyone faces storms. Some of you are in the midst of a storm right now in your life. And I want to tell you the fact that you go through storms in life does not mean that God does not care for you. The man who built his house on a foundation, who built his house on the rock, still faced storms. And the fact that there may be storms in your life right now does not mean that God's hand of judgment is ultimately against you to the point where he would not extend his saving grace to you because his grace is available to all. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so it's not a matter of whether or not you're facing these storms that should give you the idea to say, well, maybe God's calling me in these moments. Just because you're going through a storm doesn't mean that God doesn't care. And so I say, are you going through a storm in your life right now? Take hope because God still cares for you. His love is still rich toward you. His grace is still freely extended to you. And if you're in a storm, it's no indication that God does not love you. And, and all of you should know that there is a storm that is on the horizon for every one of us. There is a storm that we all must endure. For Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. You see, there's a judgment that every one of us will face. And ultimately, in this passage, Jesus is warning his disciples. He's warning those of you who are gathered here today, hearing his word as well, that to prepare for this coming day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, there will be one of two outcomes for every individual who has built his or her life in a certain way. There will be one of two sorts of outcomes for this house that you are building right now. Because the, the Bible makes it clear that everyone will live eternally. The difference is where you're going to live eternally. Are you going to live eternally in the presence of the God who created you and restored you and enjoy the fellowship with him for all of eternity in a place known as heaven? Or are you going to spend all of eternity in the place where those who have not trusted in Christ, in the place of those who have ultimately tried to make it on their own or who have just continued to rebel and to reject God, eternally separated from him in this place known as hell. That's ultimately the decision that Jesus presents for us here. There's no in-between. Jesus lays it down and shows that it's black and white. There's no gray area here. You're either headed for steadfast endurance or you are headed for a crash. And hoping for storm-free weather will not storm-proof your life. Well, what's the difference that makes the difference here then? It's here. Only building your house on the rock will make the difference. Ultimately, it's the rock that makes the difference. These two guys build their houses, and which one endures? The one that has dug down deep, has found the rock, where he then establishes 
his foundation. And he says, my house is going to be built on the rock. And ultimately, my friends, this is a call for each one of us to make the same proclamation. Are you going to build the house that you are building on the rock? Now, ultimately, the Bible over and over again refers to Jesus as the chief stone which the builders have rejected, which now has become the corner stone. You see, Jesus is the rock. He is the one that this parable is pointing us to. Are we building our lives on him? If you'll recall, Jesus and Peter were talking at one point. Jesus was asking his disciples, you know, who do others say that I am and who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, on this confession that Jesus is the anointed one, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Savior, on this rock, I will build my church. And I just want to tell you, friends, if your life is not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, then you're headed for ruin. But praise God, because that is not his heart for you. He does not want to see you lost in ruin. He does not want to see you rejected for all of eternity. God loves you with this this sort of love that the world cannot understand. While you were even his enemy, he came in the form of Christ and bore your sorrows, was acquainted with your griefs, went to the cross and faced the death that you deserve so that you could be forgiven, so that he could stand in your place and give to you eternal life. This is the gospel, my friends. This is the good news that Jesus has stood in your place. He has ultimately become the stone, the rock that you can build your life on such that you will have hope for all of eternity because he has endured the greatest of what needs to be endured. And now he calls you by faith to entrust your life to him. Because the same one who ultimately was buried in the grave, the same one who was beaten and bruised and abused and mocked, is the same one that God confirmed by raising him from the dead. To say that, look, look, when that storm comes, when, when you're facing that storm, when your house is facing those torrents, that ultimately, my son has been risen as a promise that you can endure this storm. That you can have life eternal. That you too can rise from the dead. And so when the greatest storm that any of us may face will come, we can have hope in that Christ has borne the brunt of what we deserve. Our foundation is on him. And because of that, we have eternal hope. So how do you know if you built your house on the rock? How do you know if Jesus is your Lord? Well, in verse 36, Jesus makes it clear. And it's not something that we tend to want to hear. Those who truly know Jesus as Lord will do what he says. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? It's it's in essence like he's saying, you're being a hypocrite. You're proclaiming that I am your Lord when the, the, the reality is. If Jesus is your Lord, he is your commander. He is the one who gives you your marching orders. He is the one who tells you what you ought to be doing. And ultimately, if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, then we ought to expect that we are following in obedience to him. 
So Jesus makes it clear that if we know him as Lord, that we will do what he says. Then again in verse 47, he says that the man who builds his house on the rock is the one who comes to him and who hears his words and who acts on them. I mean, you guys have come here today, right? You've come, you've heard some pretty powerful testimonies. Even more than that, you've heard the word of God calling you to a response. What does Jesus say? He says the one who comes to him and hears his words and acts on them is the one whose house will be built upon the rock, whose house will be built on the foundation. You've heard Jesus' words today. The question remains for you, will you hear his words and act on them? Will you build your life on his love? Will you build your life on his sacrifice for you? You see, my friends, he laid down his life for you. And now he calls for you to come to him by faith. And so the question I have for each of you is, will you entrust your life to Jesus? We've heard testimonies from so many individuals who have done that very thing here today. But the question you need to ask yourself is, what kind of house am I building? Will it stand for all of eternity? And and just as a little exercise, take your hands and hold them out in front of you like this here. Two two hands in front of you. All right, I just want to imagine, and and you don't tell anybody, don't, don't, don't tell your neighbor which of these hands you're thinking about. Imagine in one of these hands is the word Lord, okay? You're holding in your hand, one of your hands is the word Lord. The other one of your hands you're holding the word no. And I just want you to know that those two things cannot go together. We cannot know Jesus as our Lord and tell him no to the things that he commands us to do. And so ultimately, as we're talking about building this house, as we're talking about establishing this foundation, each one of us must make the decision, which one of these things are we going to let go of? Are we going to let go of calling him Lord In the sense that we realize that ultimately because we give him our nose in every avenue of our life, in certain avenues of our lives, we're we're not willing to let him touch that area of what we are and who we are and what we do. If if we're not willing to let Jesus touch those things, then we've got to realize that ultimately we're saying he is not our Lord. Or are we going to say that Jesus is going to be Lord of my life, and so I'm going to take my nose off of the table. I'm going to turn every area of my life over to him. I'm going to entrust my heart and my life and all of my eternity to him. I'm going to make him the foundation of my life. That's a decision I want all of us to make. So just very practically, thinking now, Lord in one hand, no in the other. Your neighbors don't know which hand is which, but you just turn over where you are in your walk with Christ right now. And then we're going to share in the time of invitation here in a moment. Do you need to take the no that you've you've given to Christ? Do you need to ultimately turn that over to him? Do you need to yield your heart afresh and anew to him? You know, those who are coming today for baptism are in a very practical way doing something that Jesus has commanded us to do. He told his church to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The early church, when they preached, talked about repent and baptize, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they're in a very practical way showing that step of faith today. Maybe there are others of you here who even though you haven't had the chance to give a more refined testimony would love to just come forward and say, 
That is my heart's desire. Either today as we go down to the river or at a later date, I want to be baptized. I want to show what Christ has done for me. Maybe that's something that some of you would want to do. Maybe God's calling some of you to unite with a particular church family, to get involved, to get plugged in with a body that can encourage you, equip you, drive you on. Maybe for some of you, you realize that you need Jesus to save you. You need him to be your foundation. You need him to be the one who would build for you what you could never build on your own. Whatever the need may be, there's a, there's a place for you to come. You can kneel and pray here. I would be happy to pray with you. You need guidance in some way. God has called me to be a shepherd of this flock. I would be happy to guide you in whatever decisions you might desire to make. Maybe there's something you have decided to do that you want to encourage this body by letting them know about it. Whatever the need may be, we're going to share in a final moment of invitation. So I'm going to ask all of you to stand now. Now let's bow in a word of prayer as we prepare for these final moments of invitation. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the grace that we find in Christ. Lord, I know that I myself am a lousy builder. I know that I myself, Lord, if I were to look at the, the things that I have built with my life, would find so many things which were flawed, so many things which had wrong purpose, wrong intent. They were just faulty right from the start. And yet, God, I praise you that you have given me a chance to be rebuilt, to find a new foundation, to find something that will not crash, to find something that will endure the test of the coming storm. Father, I thank you that Jesus has made the difference for me. I thank you for the powerful testimonies of brothers and sisters who stepped forward to say the same thing here today. And Father, as we close in these moments together, I can't help but wonder if you might be through the power of your amazing grace be calling others to make similar commitments, to be calling others to turn away from the things that they were building for their own interests, their own deeds, without a solid foundation, and to trust Christ as Lord. God, if this is in the heart of any of those who are gathered here today, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you give the courage to respond. And may we, O oh Lord, continue to see that you are a mighty God with great love, bringing your saving grace to bear upon the lives of individuals here in this place. We praise you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.